I want to tell you a, a little bit about um, something I have up here on stage. And uh, this thing is very important to me, very significant to me. But um, it's put together with like popsicle sticks and tape. And there's a bunch of bolts and, you know, like screws on it and stuff. That's something my son made for me uh, a couple of years ago. And on the back, he put, a, there's like hair all over it too. It's kind of like gross. And on the back, he put a, oh, even on the picture on the front, he put dinosaur pictures because it wasn't good enough just me and him. He wanted to put dinosaur pictures on it and put a bunch of dinosaur stickers on the back. But this thing is significant to me. Does anybody have a possession like that? And it's like, this is important. This is valuable. Like, don't even tell me to put a price on this because it's, it's priceless. But it's not the thing itself. Like, how, how expensive was this? You know, it's like, it's falling apart. I'm like, put together with scotch tape. Good job, buddy. <laughs> but it's not the thing that's important. It's the memory. It's the time. It's like thinking back to when he gave it to me when I went to his school and we did like the dad's day. And a lot of times we, we mistake thinking that things are more important than the time or the memory. The exact opposite is, is, is true. I love Abraham Joshua Heschel says this, it's not a thing that lends significance to a moment, but it's the moments that lend significance to things. Whoa, Cameron, you went deep right away. I did, I'm sorry. But it's not the things, you think about everything. A car, why do we pay so much for a car? Well, because it makes us feel special, like it's a memory, or because of the time somebody spent. Like the more expensive cars, you would hope that you're spending a lot of time and money and resources on developing the best car. Even TVs, why do we love TVs and pay so much money for TVs? Because we believe that they'll give us significant memories and experiences, and we watch movies, and we'll, we're captivated by the stories. Baseball cards, we were just talking about baseball cards this week. It's not always the thing itself because the baseball cards are not very expensive, right, to produce, but the significance of it is in the time, the time period, the memory. That's why we see a lot of Kyler Murray and Kurt Warner jerseys and not very many Stanton or Josh Rosen jerseys. Because the memory of Kurt Warner is much better than the memory of Josh Rosen, right? Cardinals fans? Oh, man. I might get in trouble for that joke later. Um, but, it, but it's true. We, we, we think things are significant in our life, not because of the things in themselves, but because of the moments. And Abraham Joshua Heschel, he's a, a Jewish scholar, a thinker, and, and he, he wrote a couple of books on this concept of time versus space, time versus space. And we are very good as humans occupying space, filling our life with things and possessions and accomplishments and medals and trophies and cars and TVs. We work and expend all of our time to fill our space. He said, these are the two commodities that we have, okay? When we're born, 
We have time and we have space. And what we do with our hands, what we do in the physical world, that's our space. What we do with our time, that's harder for many of us. That is difficult. But at the end of our lives, we never say, gosh, I wish I had more things. What do we say? Gosh, I wish I had more time. Wish I had more time. So he's explored this, this idea of time. How do we invest in time? And the only thing you can do to invest in time is time. Let me say that again. The only thing we can do to invest in time is time. But we can invest our time in things. He said it's weighted differently. And a lot of times we just grow up in this world where we just, we just increase our space. Here's some examples. Trash. <laughs> Over 2 billion tons of trash each year. And it's increasing. By 2050, they anticipate 3.4 billion tons a year of trash. So in, in 30 years, they're expecting us to increase our trash by more than 1.4 billion, ton, billion tons. It's crazy. Christmas. The money spent each year on Christmas continues to increase and rise. Except for 2020. We spent less money on time traveling to be with loved ones and we spent more money on what? Stuff, things. So technically it's like a glitch, it's like an asterisk, but we still spent more money on things than the year before. Work, the National Bureau of Economics says since January of 2020, okay, we got a great big pause in our schedules. There was a blip. What did we do with it? We've seen a 48-minute increase in the workday since January of 2020. 48-minute increase in how much time, time we're spent working every day. Sleep. Sleeping less than ever. Some organizations have said the lack of sleep is a public health epidemic. And lack of sleep is linked to seven of the 15 leading causes of death in our world. And if you don't take anything else and, you know, tune out. If you sleep, I'm not going to judge you today because maybe you need the sleep, right? You need the sleep. They can't even keep up with the studies linked to poor health in the conjunction with sleep and rest. Uh, John Mark Comer had this book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a fantastic read. He's, and he talks about in 1967, there was a Senate subcommittee. And they said, wow, you know, with all these these labor-saving devices that we're creating, they estimated that by 1985, we'd only be working on an average of 22 hours a week. <laughs> and only 27 weeks a year. Like, whoa, they were like, man, we are gonna save so much time, we're just gonna leisure, you know, we're just gonna hang out. Work, who needs it, you know? We got computers and robots to do the work for us. What has happened? Work continues to increase. We continue to fill it. Actually, since uh, 1979, we have actually increased the number of weeks we work in a year by four. 
four extra weeks since 1979. So if you were around in 1979 and you feel tired and weary, there's a reason for that. And if you're growing up in this environment and you feel weary, there's a reason for that. Labor-saving devices. I'm going to do this and then I'll, I'll let you go. I'm just joking. We have a lot to cover. Modern era has taken it to a new level with computers, cars, dishwashers, laundry machines, fast food restaurants, Uber Eats, all for the purpose of saving me time. Saving me time. Actually, average of five plus hours a day on phone. An average of three to four hours a day on streaming television. Now, I'm not knocking, I love, I'm guilty of this because I love binge-watching TV shows and frequently, like when I have more time, my temptation is to reach for my phone or turn on the TV and like, we're human, right? And that's, but I think that this is important because we have to come to the realization that I may not be making the best decisions on how to invest my time. I'm very good. We all are very good at, at making decisions on how to occupy our space. And this is what Abraham Joshua Heschel, he said, the difference is we build cathedrals of space, bricks and mortar and accomplishments and things. But what he advocated for is building cathedrals of time. Building cathedrals of time. Now just think about that for a second. How do we do that? How do we build a cathedral of time? That's what we're going to look at in just a moment. We haven't figured out how to outpace our weariness of heart for all of the labor-saving devices we have. We haven't figured out how to do that. He again says, we know what to do with space, but do not know what to do with time except to make it subservient to space. But scripture tells us to guard our heart above all else, for it determines the course of our lives. To guard our heart. And I feel like a lot of times, and I, I'm included in this, like I have a weariness of heart. Like it's not always just busy and then I just am, am, am busy, but I am, I feel that. But sometimes there's just like this collective weariness of heart. And as we get closer and closer, this is the time of year where things just start to speed up, right? We get to, we know Christmas is on the calendar. We've got it circled. And from now until Christmas, it's a sprint. And so my thought today was like, let's, let's just explore for a second. Like, how do we pursue rest? How do we pursue an investment in our time so that when we get to Christmas, we do not have a weariness of heart. You want that? I mean, it sounds good, like Christmas, to celebrate with family and to feel like, man, this was a full, awesome, incredible holiday. It says this in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries, it'll do no good. It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest. Eugene Peterson in the message says it this way, it's useless to rise early and go to bed late. 
and work your, love this, worried little fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? I sometimes am guilty of working my weary fingers to the bone. And I, I, have, a, I have a sense that maybe you do too. And we, we do this, but cathedrals of time. It's funny because Eugene Peterson commented on his own translation. He said, relentless compulsive work habits, which our society rewards and even admires, are seen by the psalmist here as a sign of weak faith and assertive pride. As if God could not be trusted to accomplish his will. As if we could rearrange the universe by our own efforts. Can you rearrange the universe by your own effort? No, like when we hear it that way, it's like, oh, yeah. Like the more time I spend consuming space, the more I'm actually not trusting God to do what he says. And that's the beginning. I, I just like for us, I'm going to give us three ways that we can actually build cathedrals of time. But the starting place is the recognition that it's hard. It's hard to give God time. Because it, what it's saying is that I trust you. I trust you, God. To take my time. To take my energy that I could be spending on work or getting other things or doing sometimes fun things, right? Really fun things, great things. But when they become an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol, right? And we take these, these things, and it, it, we, we need to trust God with it. But that is hard, because we, we act a lot of times like we could rearrange the universe by our own effort. So that's, that's the starting point, is trust. How can we trust God that he is faithful, that the time I invest in him will pay off? And I read, uh, actually, a friend and I were talking about this the other day. And they talked about, how many of you save for retirement? Hopefully all of you. <laughs> That's something that we learned, they started, you know, telling us in high school. Save for retirement. And there's this idea of the law of returns, okay? That if you start investing at 25, it, it doesn't matter, like, it's just a little bit of money. If you just... It grows, and there's something called compound interest. How many of you heard of compound interest? Compound interest is incredible. It's one of my favorite things because you invest a little bit here, and, and for a while, it looks like, man, like, why are we eating macaroni and cheese when we could be you know, eating steak and all this money's going away, and we don't know where we're going to see it, right? But over time, it's like, oh, you know, those are just pennies. I'm not saving very much. But you get through your 30s, and you're like, okay, I've got this down. I'll keep, keep saving, keep putting away. Get to your 40s, it starts to grow a little bit, right? Then all of a sudden, you get to like your 50s and 60s, and it's like, whew, because of the compounding interest. Now, I would argue that the same is true with our time. I'm guilty of this. I look at my time and the time I spend, and I'm like, I, I spent this time, but I didn't see a return on the investment. Right? I want it to be immediate. I want it 
I spend this time and I want to feel completely rested, completely whole, not weary at all because I spent five minutes with God. But that's not the way it works. You're making small investments that over the span of your life, there will be an income. So you make small decisions now that you know will pay off and grant you a rest for your soul throughout your life. Does that make sense? So here's three ways that we can invest in our time. The number one way is called something we call chair time. Okay, we take our journal and we sit. It's like a quiet time. It's how we spend our mornings a lot of times, but it doesn't have to be morning. It could be at night. I have a chair that I sit in, and every morning I go and I spend chair time, and it's silence, solitude, and prayer. And we get this from the, from the life of Jesus. I love this. In Luke 5, it says, the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear Jesus and to be healed of their sickness. Like Jesus at this point in his ministry is like, yes. Like he's popular. The crowds are coming. People are flocking to hear him speak and give words of wisdom. So what did he do with all that success and fame? Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Whoa. Are you as famous as Jesus? (laughs) Even more so for us, we need to find lonely places where we can spend time with God. Henry Nouwen talks about solitude, solitude being basically like scaffolding. Uh, A funny story, so this summer we were playing um, soccer at my, my parents' house on vacation and the kids were kicking the soccer balls and it was super fun, but they kept going over the fence. And so, um, for some reason, my mom had scaffolding in her backyard. <laughs> they were painting something. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll take the scaffolding. And, and we took the scaffolding and I was like, ah, oh, you know, maybe we should just ring the doorbell. But we didn't think of that at the time, of the next door neighbor. Because you never do. It's like, we got to get the ball. And, you know, it's way more fun to take the scaffolding and climb it and jump over the fence to go get the balls. So that's what I did. I climbed the scaffolding and I jumped over the fence. How do you get back over? I heard, <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, and then I realized there was a, a, like a dog house. And I'm pretty sure I heard a, I'm like, oh, no. So what I do, I hurry and grab all the soccer balls and stuff, and I throw them back over the fence. And then out comes this dog. I think this dog has been living for about 45 years. (laughs) You know, slowly comes out. I'm like, whew, okay, dodged a bullet with that one. Good thing it wasn't a six-month-old bulldog. That would have been bad news. But I realized in that moment, and I think it's a funny, like, picture of, Sometimes solitude is getting rid of the scaffolding of our lives. And at first it can be kind of scary because we're, we're alone. We don't like being alone. Like, especially extroverts, but introverts too. You know, like we don't like really being alone or a sense of alone. And it is like removing the scaffolding and saying, like, God, I'm here. 
God, I'm yours. And I think it's important for us to build moments where we remove the scaffolding to trust in God. And sometimes that's just taking a day away, taking time away to be alone. Sometimes you can do that just in your chair, in your chair time each morning. But solitude is removing the scaffolding of our lives and allowing the Lord to define our success instead of us. Silence. Silence is the active part of solitude. It's actually being silent. But this is another thing that makes us uncomfortable. But silence is how we stoke the fire. At man camp, we had this big fire. We had a fire going. But if somebody didn't stoke it, the fire would burn out. Silence is how we continue to stoke the fire of presence with Jesus in our lives. It's an important part of chair time. It's tending the fire. And then prayer. We put a lot of emphasis on saying the right kinds of prayers, but prayer is presence. Prayer is just being with God. And that's what his name means, Emmanuel, God with us. He wants to be with us. So it's just talking with God and listening. We often rob God of time by having a goal or agenda or expectation. So chair time. If you're not doing chair time, I highly encourage you, like maybe just start with one day a week, add, grow over time to finding chair time. Number two is something that I, I love, our family loves. It's called Sabbath. And for us, we take a 24-hour period every week that we turn off our phones, we unplug, and we spend time with one another and with God. And this, you're talking about a culture shift. Like, I talk to people all the time that do not understand Sabbath. Like, wait, you just don't, you don't accomplish anything? No. Like, here's what we try to accomplish. We try to stop and tell God, I trust you. We try to celebrate, find things that bring our family joy. And we do those things. Sometimes that's taking a nap. Actually, every week it's taking a nap for me. We rest and are patient, allow our souls to catch up to our bodies. And we worship, which is turning our hearts and minds toward God. And, and every week, we've been doing this now as a family for five years. And I talked about the law of returns, right? For a long time, I think my wife, my kids were like, Dad, you're crazy. I'm like, no, we, like this is this is so important because in Genesis 2, when God created, he created space and things, and he said it was good. This is interesting. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So wait, time is the only thing in creation that God says is holy. Let that sink in for a second. God blessed the seventh period of time, and he said, this is supposed to be holy. And, and I encourage you to take just a 12-hour period, a 24-hour period if you can. And it's, it's those small investments over time that now it's like it fills us up. And listen, I, I test me on this, but I don't feel like I lose any productivity throughout the week by giving up an, a day of my week. If anything, I think it helps me live a Sabbath type of framework 
throughout the rest of my week. Sabbath is such a gift. It's a gift from God. That's what he says. It's a gift from God. So practice it. And then lastly is worship. It's turning our hearts and minds toward God. And it says this in Romans 12. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice. This is truly the way we worship him. The message, again, Eugene Peterson for the win. Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Worship is something we can do throughout our day, little moments throughout our day. It behooves us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming, Ralph Walder, Waldo Emerson says. John Mark Comer says it this way, you become what you give your mind to. And so the invitation for worship is just the everyday moments of our life, the everyday moments of our life, to center in on Jesus, because his promise is that I have come to give you life and give life to the full. So Jesus' promise for us is not just to give us a quantity, like eternal life, but to give us a quality of life. Not just to give us a quantity of life, but to give us a quality of life. So this is why, this is important, no matter what age you are, our time is precious to God. He wants us to find a quality of life that directs our hearts and our minds to him. And so today, we're going we're gonna to practice this. We're not done yet, so don't leave. I have a couple more thoughts, but we're going to practice this. And I just want you to sit for a moment and rest. Take this time to turn your heart and your mind toward our Father in worship. God, we rest in you. We focus our hearts and our minds on you. In this moment, we say you are significant, and we want to spend time with you. Stand on the mountain. 
Rest is good for the soul. And there are times where we just feel a little bit out of tune and out of sync. And in those moments, um, I think about a tuning fork. <laughs> it's like a little U-shaped fork, and you ping it, and it gives a constant tune. So you can tune a piano or a guitar or any instrument to that note. You have kind of a baseline. And there are times, and I hope today is a, a moment for you to kind of ping the tuning fork and to recenter your heart and mind on Jesus. Because we need that. And that's why we come every week and we, we, we worship. Because it comes, it becomes in our life, this tuning fork in our week to come and celebrate the goodness of God with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to recenter our attention on him. But I think these other practices can become a tuning fork in our lives as well. And, and I, I know that, like, it's a, okay, you're giving me more time. <laughs> you're giving me more things to do. And that's missing the point. I think any of these things, chair time, Sabbath, worship, I think any of these things, we can miss the point. Because Jesus says this in John 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will give you rest. These are good practices. We should orient our lives around I believe these practices because I do think that they'll pay off over time. But they'll only pay off over time if they draw us closer to Jesus. Leonard Sweet says this, God is not so much about fixing things that have gone wrong in our lives as he is about finding us in our brokenness and giving us Jesus. I love that concept because a lot of times it does feel like we're just living in the midst of brokenness and craziness. And what does God give us? What is his gift for us? It's Jesus. But how do we get the most out of our relationship with Jesus? Is it occupying with space? Or is it occupying time? It's occupying time. And sometimes it does require us to make a hard decision to reorder some of our priorities so that we have more time with Jesus, but it's worth it. 
Knowing Christ profoundly and intimately is the chief pursuit of the Christian life. And if that's the chief pursuit of the Christian life, but we don't ever invest our time in it, then what are we doing? We're not doing the most important thing. Jesus even critiqued the Pharisees. He said, you search the scriptures. That's a good thing. They're searching the scriptures, right? They're opening their Bible. They're looking through the wisdom of God. And they said, because you think they give you eternal life. But actually the scriptures, they point to me. So even in a good thing, we can miss the ultimate thing. Even in reading our Bibles, Jesus says, you can miss me. Living day to day, it's like, be cautious. Don't miss me. Don't miss me. Matt Anderson, our lead pastor, prophetically said years ago, and this has become a tagline for us, if we miss Jesus, we miss everything. We miss Jesus, we miss everything. So how, how do we not miss Jesus? How do we not miss Jesus? And number one, I, I think it's this. We read our Bible, read scripture, spend time in chair time with eyes toward Jesus. Spend time thinking, Jesus, how do I fix my thoughts on you? How do I find you? And we have a couple of uh, resources here. I, I wanted, this is on the super practical side. So we have a journal that we've made for you. And, and it's got daily time in there. And this week it's the verse of the week, which is from you version. And uh, if you can't, you know, you have a temptation to click on other apps, put this app there and put it as the, the singular app on your screen and spend some time each morning. Start with Jesus. Do the verse of the day and look with Jesus. Because the promise is that if you seek me, you will find me if you look for me with all your heart. And then the Bible Project, which their tagline is basically all of scripture leads to Jesus. The Bible is one unified story that leads to Jesus. I think these are three incredible resources that can help us as we're pursuing Christ to lead us and help us not miss him. But number two is to live each day in the presence of Jesus. To slow down. We talked about this at, at man camp last weekend. God doesn't need you. Okay? God doesn't need you. But God wants you. God can accomplish what God can accomplish with or without you. But God desperately, desperately wants you. A pastor I was listening to recently said, I used to think I was a bad Christian when I got distracted in prayer. But what I realized is that a hundred little distractions in prayer are actually a hundred opportunities to come back to Jesus. And how true that is. Like when I'm spending time with God and my mind starts thinking about all the things I have to do or my, my lists and, and the work and the family and all these things, he's like, no, those are opportunities to come back, to take captive of that thought and to come back to Jesus. And we need to live each day in the presence of Jesus. So this is what I call the, the one by one by one by one rule. The one by one by one by one rule, something. One by one by one, there's four ones. There could be more. 
And the basic premise is, premise is this. Can we give one day each week? Can we give one hour? And maybe this is, you know, 10 minutes, right? Just one, just depending on how many zeros you put on it, right? One hour each day, or 10 minutes each day, or even just one minute. Can we give one second of each minute? That's where it gets nuclear. That's where the presence of Christ becomes alive in our life is when we can each minute say, oh, can I just give God one second? And the prayer just being, God, I'm giving you my heart and mind in this moment. That's it. Can we do that? One second of every minute? And the ones can keep going. Maybe you can give, you know, um, one year, right? That's a sabbatical or one month of a year every, you know, so many years. But really the idea is that our investment in time in Christ is essential for us to, number three, cultivate a life that looks like Jesus because that's what Jesus did. He utilized his time, which he had the same number of day, hours in a day that we did, right? He had 24 hours, and yet he invested his time with wisdom and insight. And for us, we have the same invitation to invest our time. And so as the band comes back up, I just want us to think about that. How do we build a cathedral of time that centers us like a tuning fork to the presence of Jesus? Maybe one second of every minute, maybe one minute of every hour, maybe one hour of every day, maybe one day of every week, we can center ourselves on, on Jesus and allow the sacredness of God to occupy our hearts. Because that's ultimately what the Christian life is about. And it's not about adding a bunch on, it's about reprioritizing our hearts and our minds and worship to our heavenly creator who gave us time and said, it's holy, your time is holy. And so uh, as we respond here, maybe you need to light a candle and just say, God, I want the gift of time with you in this moment. Maybe you need somebody to pray for you and you need to write a prayer out and put it in the prayer wall in the back. Maybe you need to just sit and just, again, breathe deep. We're gonna take communion together in just a moment. So maybe you need to grab communion if you haven't already and uh, we'll take that together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You call us significant. We bring our battered, sometimes nothingness, our weariness, our burdened selves. But God, you say, no, I just want you. I just want you. I want, I don't need you, but I want you. And so God, we give you in this moment some time worship you, to turn our hearts and minds towards you, because we love you and we trust you.